Hey church, we're coming down to the home stretch on the 2020 vision campaign. And now you can see our new giving total is right here. And this month we had a special opportunity to spend time with one of our Grace in Action partners to see where the humanitarian aid portion of 2020 vision is making a difference right here in Albany. Today we're here with Shelly Rettinger and she is the Director of Homeless Services at Joseph's House and Shelter. And Shelly, can you tell us a little bit about the van outreach? Sure. So the van runs basically in the inner city of Albany and sometimes we go a little bit further. We operate 365 days a year, two to 10 every day. We are here. The van is a crucial part of the city because it's something that we are serving the people that aren't going into the shelter and we're serving the people that aren't being seen by other providers. We're basically their only provider is us and for a lot of them we're their only meal at this point. They, and it's sad that their only meal is a bologna sandwich. We're not providing them enough nutrition and we, we rely on donations of like bags of chips to give people or fruit or water and things like that. And we give out blankets, tons of blankets, that's our thing. So people, because a lot of times people at night like their blankets get wet and they, they don't carry their stuff with them so they leave it behind. So we luckily get a large donation of blankets. We're able to keep up with that. But what we're really doing is just meeting them where they are. If they're down by the river sleeping, they don't want to come into shelter. We're just making sure that they're okay every night. And they're, they're our, our people that nobody else is serving. We are all of a very busy part of Central Lab where somebody is not currently staying, but is a former encampment that folks stay at. Usually this is a good spot for winter to stay because it's really covered and it's has, has rooms in almost where pe several people can stay there like kind of tucked away where they're not with other people. The only thing about this spot is it's sort of kind of far up for people. So unless you can walk really well or have bus transportation um, to get to this spot. We served 175 people last year unduplicated. And that's just who we captured. There's times when the van gets like tumbled with people and you're not getting everybody's name. So at high night, we had about 58 that we actually captured. And that's unduplicated people sleeping on the streets in Albany. What, is the, what does the van represent for you personally? What does it mean to you personally? I've been doing homeless work for like almost 20 years in Rensselaer County and I, just felt we were doing it right and we were saving everyone and then we came to Albany that day and they took me on the van for the first time and I just remember being in tears like there's so many people that this city isn't serving and like shame on Albany almost like you have literally people sleeping under your underpasses and garages and I, I'll never forget a guy yelled to me and he was like he, I'm looking down at him because you can't kind of get to his spot and he I'm gonna cry and he looked up at me he's like don't let me die here and I had to get in the van and like drive away that night to my bed and he's laying down there. And that was like, we gotta do something over here. We gotta, we need to shout at like the top of our lungs about what's happening in this city that no one is doing anything about. It, besides, it feels like just us. And I know, I know the street ministries, and I know the street soldiers, and I know there's a lot of other work going on, but I don't know at 10 o'clock when we are handing out blankets and those people are home that they really understand the magnitude of what happens around here. And church, this is where our contributions through 2020 Vision, the humanitarian aid part of 2020 Vision come into play because we help sponsor this van. We help keep this van on the road so that we can help care for some of our neediest neighbors here in the city of Albany.
Testing. Testing. Woo. I really, really wish that I had pictures, but we're going to make do with this, okay? That was an incredible video. Your giving matters. My name is Pat Murata, and it is an honor to be with you. I'm one of the elders here at Grace Fellowship. He had a recent TED Talk entitled, Change Your Mindset and Achieve Anything. Colin O'Brady shared his incredible story of how he journeyed from a tragic accident where both his legs were so severely burned that doctors did not believe he'd be able to ever walk normally again to just nine years later hiking the seven tallest mountains in the world in record time. His story is a testament to how one can accomplish their goals despite the overwhelming odds. And on May 27th, 2016, Colin completed what is known as the Explorer's Grand Slam, which is hiking the tallest mountains on every continent, including Mount Everest at 29,000 feet, and then skiing to the last degrees of both the North and the South Poles. He completed the challenges in collective time at 139 days, breaking at the time the all-time world record. Well, during his talk, he shared the importance of his mindset during the challenges, especially during the trying moments. You see, the cold would reach temperatures as low as 40 to 60 degrees below zero. The elevations were at heights where it was difficult to breathe, where commercial airlines fly. The wind gusts, 40, 60, 70 miles per hour at times, making it so difficult for him to persevere. And he said during those trying moments, doubt would creep in. And he would begin to think, I'm not going to make it. And then he would immediately turn his mindset around and he would begin to think about all the training and all the hard work that he put into this. And then he would say over and over and over to himself, you can do this. You can do this. You can do this. And he persevered to break the all-time world record. You know, when I heard his story, I thought to myself, man, that is absolutely incredible. I mean, how does one humanly do that, right? And then I thought to myself, why does one want to do that? I mean, why torture yourself? I mean, it's, it'd be a different thing if somebody came up to him and said, hey, if you don't do this, I'm going to kill you. But no, he willingly did it. In fact, he did it with joy. You see, because if he didn't have a heart, if he didn't have passion to climb those, those mountain peaks in record time, there's no way he would have persevered through the difficult times. You see, his passion far outweighed the agony and the pain at times. It far outweighed the sacrifice. And he closed his TED Talk with these words, and I quote, achievement is not for the select few. It's for those that never quit, those that have goals, and those who overcome the greatest obstacles of all, your mind. Hey, do you have goals you're passionate about? Goals that challenge you. You know, God wants us to be goal-oriented. He wants us to be driven. 
not in pursuing mountain peaks, but in pursuing him and with the same kind of passion and commitment that Colin demonstrated as he broke that world record. You know what I admire about goal-oriented people? It's that they're intentional. You know, if they want something to happen, they roll up their sleeves and they make it happen. They're intentional. And I think of how the Apostle Paul would often warn the first century Christians against just going with the flow, you know, being no different than the world. And he would urge intentionality. I think of what he said to the Christians in Ephesus in Ephesians 5.14. He said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead. Not a physical death. But for those of us who are living without passion and purpose, he's saying, Christian, we're to be different for Christ. Wake up. We're only here for a brief moment of time. And he often urged intentionality. There are so many Bible verses directed to you and me as Christians, encouraging you and I to be goal-oriented. Look at some of these verses with me. 1 Corinthians 9.24, the Apostle Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize intentionally. Acts 20.24, 20, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. Intentional. Hebrews 12.1, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Intentional, you get the point. And then finally, Paul, speaking to the Christians at Philippi, says this, I, speaking of himself, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Intentional. Run in such a way as to get the prize. You know, the Apostle Paul would often make a comparison between the life of an athlete, running in this case, and the life of a Christian. And what he was saying in a nutshell is this. We, as Christians, ought to live our lives with the same kind of focus, clarity, intensity, passion that an athlete has when they're pursuing their prize. See, for Colin O'Brady, the prize was to hike those mountain peaks in record time. For the competitive athlete, the prize is to win the game, the tournament, the championship, the prize. Paul is saying that we too as Christians ought to run in such a way with clarity, focus, intensity, passion. As to get the prize. Question. What is the prize that Paul talks about? What is it that we ought to be striving for, run in such a way as to get the prize? Is the prize heaven? No, because we can't work our way there. We can't earn that. We're saved through faith alone, grace alone, and Christ alone. We can't earn it. All we can do is humbly accept the gift of eternal life found in Christ. But it is his grace that ought to motivate us to run in such a way as to get the prize. But heaven is not the prize he's talking about here. Hey, is the prize all about having a better life today? Is it about obtaining all sorts of Bible knowledge? Is it about coming to the church five times a week and praying 25 times a day? No. No matter how good all those things may be, 
That is not the prize. Rather, the prize that Paul is speaking of here is a transformed life. A changed life flowing out of a changed heart. He would say to the Christians in Galatia, the goal is Christ formed in you. Change. To the Christians in Rome, he would say, be conformed into the image of Christ. Change. About himself to the Philippians, to the Christians in Philippi, in Philippians, he would say, my goal, Paul, he would say, my goal is to become more like Christ. Change. I like how John the Baptist said it, more of him, less of me. Transform lives. The word transformation in Greek is metamorphosis. It's where we obviously get our word metamorphosis, which is changing from an immature state to a mature state. From an immature state, self-centered, to a mature state, others in Christ-centered. You know, we have a saying around grace. It's this. Come just as you are. But do not stay just as you are. The goal is progress, not perfection. We all fall short of God's glory. We're never going to be perfect this side of eternity. But with the passage of time, the goal is we ought to be growing in our faith. Change. That's the prize that Paul is speaking about. A transformed life. A changed life. A Christ-centered life. Now, the problem is most people do not like change. As the saying goes, people are very open-minded about new things as long as they're exactly like the old one. Or I like this one. I love change. You go first. Change. See, change of any kind is difficult. But this kind of change is extremely difficult to pursue less of me. It's a dying to our self-centered ways. In fact, that's how Jesus put it. In one of the most often quoted words of Jesus, one of the most often quoted imperatives in the Gospels from Jesus is this. The one who loses their life for my sake and for the sake of the Gospel finds life. It's a dying to our self-centered way. That is the prize, pursuing less of me. That means when God calls us to forgive the one that wronged us, we forgive. It means we're to be generous with our time and resources, even though it may be a challenge and we don't want to do it. It means we're to love the person that's not that lovable because Christ loved us first. It's a dying to our self-centered ways. Pursue less of me. That's the prize. And our natural human response is, I don't want that. It's like time out, Paul. It seems like the comparison between the life of an athlete and the life of a Christian, it seems like it may be breaking down a little bit here. You see, because what athletes are pursuing is what they want. Sure, Colin O'Brady faced some serious challenges during those hikes, but he wanted to get to the top of those mountains and break the world record. 
See, for the competitive athlete, they want to win the game in the tournament. They want to win the championship. And oh, by the way, them accomplishing that and winning the prize elevates them. World record holder. It comes with all sorts of accolades and recognition, titles, fame perhaps, money perhaps. In fact, in just about every human endeavor, even when immense sacrifice is required, when it is accomplished, it elevates the one who accomplished it. And there is nothing wrong at all with that. But that is not the case for the Christian pursuing the prize, less of me. Now, I don't know if it's just me. But it can be a little difficult being passionate about that. It's like, Paul, how are you going to get me to pursue less of me? Now, I'll get back to that question, but let me just pause for a minute and say this. Deep in every human soul, we want transformed lives. Less of me more of him. We want to live out God's values. I mean, think of the legacy you want to leave behind. Think of the end of life, your life. And what you will see is that what God wants and what you want are not at odds. They're not. At the end of life, we want to know that everything's going to be fine. No fear, no condemnation, life in the presence of a loving creator God. And you know what? God wants that for you too. And you're going to want to know when you look back at your life and over your life that it had meaning and purpose and significance, and God wants that too. And you're going to want to know that the loved ones you leave behind, you want them to have fond memories of you, of a person who blessed others, a person who was kind, and God wants that too. But hear me, self-centered people generally do not leave those kinds of of legacies. We want transformed lives. I was at a wedding over the summer. Pastor preached from 1 Corinthians 13, as most pastors do at weddings. It's the love chapter. And if the goal is to be more like him, and if Christ is the perfect embodiment of God's love, God in a body, these attributes that you find in 1 Corinthians 13. Let's look at them. These attributes give us a glimpse of what a transformed life looks like. These are Christ-centered attributes. Look at them. I'm not going to read them. Just look at them for a minute. Now, when you look at these attributes, are you like, man, I do not want those marking my life. No, I want to be rude. I want to be impatient. I want to be unkind. I want to easily anger. If that's you, you're crazy. We want what God wants. We want deep in every human soul transformed lives. But, the big but, it requires sacrifice. A dying to our self-centered ways. 
pursuing less of me. So Paul, back to the question. How are you going to get me to pursue less of me? Well, Paul gives us some insight in Romans 12 too. Look at it with me. He said, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be, there's the word, transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because the way we think impacts everything. Sow a thought, reap an action, sow an action, reap a habit, sow a habit, reap a character, sow a character, reap a destiny. It all starts in the mind. And what Paul is saying here to a body of Christians in Rome is our minds need renewing. Because our natural tendency is for our thoughts and mindsets to be me-centered. You know this. See, if we easily anger, it comes from thoughts like this. I can't believe they did that to me. I mean, they didn't even take my feelings into consideration. Notice the personal pronouns, I and me and mine. If we're impatient, it comes from thoughts like, how many times am I going to have to show them? Or how long am I going to have to wait for them? You know, recently I've been traveling at all the wrong times, faced with all sorts of flight delays. Most recently I was flying out of Atlanta, connecting flight to Albany. Now what I'm about to tell you actually happened to me one other time about two years ago. It's never happened before that. Long story short, several hours of delays. We finally, the weather passes, the plane is ready. We finally board. Pilot's ready to take off. I'm like, thank you, thank you, thank you, we're leaving. And then over the intercom, the flight attendant says, I'm sorry, we're going to be delayed another 20 minutes or so. Another plane has landed. There are a couple of people heading to Albany, and we're going to wait for them. Now, that's a nice thing. My thought immediately was, leave them. <laughs> just, just go. And the sad part about this is that was my thought two years ago as well when it happened. Leave them. All right, that's a funny story. The point I'm trying to make is Paul is saying to me, Pat, your mind needs to be renewed. Away from me-centered thinking and to other Christ-centered thinking. So Paul, how? How do I renew my mind? How do you get us to think about us less? That's the question. How do you get me to think about me less? Well, you know, first understand that renewing your mind is not repeating over and over and over again thoughts like, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. When you're trying to be less self-centered and more Christ-centered. I will be more patient. I will be more kind. I will not be rude. I will not easily anger. It will not work. Because it relies on your power, your willpower, to comply with a list of do's and don'ts. And there is no joy in that. By the way, that's the law. That is not the faith. And the reality is we could do all sorts of 
outwardly wonderful things and be a thousand miles away from God. You know, the Apostle Paul would often say, and would often talk about outward compliance. And what I mean by outward compliance is just nothing more than looking all religious and beautiful from the outside. And you could completely miss the mark because we have the wrong motives. In fact, in that passage in 1 Corinthians 13, we just looked at the attributes. Just before that, Paul makes some provocative statements. And he says things like, you can prophesy and preach the truth, and you can give every single penny away to the poor, but if you do not have a changed heart, a heart of love, you have nothing. The point is this. God is not after compliance. He doesn't want us trying harder out of sheer willpower to comply. He wants something much deeper than that. About two, two and a half weeks ago, I was speaking to a CEO as part of the work I do as a consultant. He's a CEO of a large publicly traded company, a very successful company, an incredibly successful CEO. And I asked him this question. I said, how are you able to get so many people, literally thousands and thousands and thousands of employees, how are you able to get them to align their behaviors to the strategy of the company? I said, it's hard enough for you and I as individuals to change our behavior. How do you get so many people to align their behaviors to the strategy that has been laid out, laid out in front of them? It's all around execution. It's very hard to do this, especially in large companies. They do it well. And he said something that really resonated with me. He said, Pat, I'm not after compliance. I'm after commitment. He said, the number one responsibility that I have as CEO is to engage the hearts of my executive team, of my leadership team. He said, I don't want them doing things because I'm telling them to do it. That's compliance. That's not sustainable. I don't want that. He goes, I want them doing things because they want to, because they're committed to the cause. He said, if I can get them committed to the cause, behavior organically changes. Commitment, not compliance. I said, that is so good. And I said this to him. I said, do you know that that's biblical? He goes, no, I didn't. But I feel a lot better knowing that it is. It's what God wants. Commitment, not compliance. Obedience out of a heart of love, not sacrifice. And just like Colin O'Brady wanted to climb those mountain peaks in record time, and just like the competitive athlete wants to win the game, the tournament, the championship, the prize, you and I as Christians ought to want to run in such a way as to get the prize, a transformed life. And the only way, the only way we will want to is not by focusing on what we lose, not focusing on the sacrifice or even looking at it as a sacrifice, not focusing on less of me, rather 
The only way we're going to want to is if we focus on what we have already gained. Christ, through whom we have a relationship with our heavenly Father, focus on him. An old Scottish theologian named Dr. Thomas Carmier said this, the only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection, me, 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 is by the expulsive power of a new one. Christ is that power, end quote. Don't look at it as I'm losing. Don't look at it as less of me. No, look at it as what you have already gained, Christ. Focus on him. Not on what he gives you, but him. Not even on, on the blessings he gives us, but him. Not on trying harder to be a better Christian out of sheer willpower. No, focus on him. Here's why. Because living a transformed life, it's not only hard, it's not only extremely difficult, it is absolutely impossible. It's impossible. That's what Jesus tells us in John 15, 5. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, focus on him, draw near to him. Meditate on the truth. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. When you are in me and I am in you, you will bear. Now, don't miss this. You will bear much fruit. And fruit in the Bible is a transformed life. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. You get the point. But then look what he says. Apart from me, you cannot do this. Impossible. Theologian and pastor John Piper said this, the key to a transformed life is the steady gaze at the glory of Christ. Exposing the mind to Christ-exalting truth through the word. He says, gaze at him. Get this. And you will think about yourself less. You remember those verses that we looked at in the beginning? Those verses on intentionality. One of them was this one. Let's look at it again. Hebrews 12, 1. It says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. A transformed life. Run after it. How? Look. Fixing our eyes on Jesus the author, the perfecter, the finisher of faith. Remember, Jesus ran a race. He persevered to the end. He climbed that hill, Calvary Hill, for you and for me. And I want to close out our time together focusing on him. Focusing on the one that empowers us to be changed and transformed. That gives us a desire 
to lose our self-centered ways and become more like him. Max Lucado, in his book, A Love Worth Giving, lays out vividly what the creator of the heavens and the earth willingly endured for you and for me. How Jesus persevered to the very end. And only as Max Lucado can do it, and I'm going to paraphrase what he, what he said here, is he gets us to think about some of the things we never think about as to what Jesus endured. Like when he saw the size of the womb. And that he, the creator of the heavens and the earth, God in a body, that Jesus would live inside the belly of a girl for nine months. When he saw the size and how small his hands would be, how hungry his belly would be, at the first whiff of that stinky stable, the first time he blew his nose and scraped his knees, he could have been, I'm not doing that. Or when he saw the dirt floor of his little Nazarene home, or the first time, get this, that his earthly father, Joseph, gave him chores to do. Or when the neighbor took his name in vain, Jesus could have been, I'm not doing this. But he didn't. He persevered. He persevered through all the resistance. I mean, think of all the resistance that Jesus endured. In spite of all the miracles. In spite of his love and his kindness and his compassion, there were those that resisted him. They mocked him. They laughed at him. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, sneered at him. It must have tested his patience. But perhaps nothing tested his patience more than when his own disciples lacked faith. And you read an instance, and we don't have time to get into it, in Mark 9.19, when the disciples lacked faith. And then Jesus poses a question to them. And he says, how long must I be with you? And Max Lucado wrote these words in response to that question, and I quote, long enough to be called crazy by his brother's and a liar by his neighbors, long enough to be laughed at, slapped, hit, blindfolded, and mocked, long enough to feel warm spit and sharp whips until a pool of blood puddled underneath his feet. How long? Long enough for every sin to soak his sinless soul and for every person to turn in horror as he uttered those final words, it is finished. Jesus answered his own question. How long? Until it killed him. He persevered. He endured to the very end on Calvary Hill. Now, what's incredible about this 
is that Jesus endured all of that, hear me, with joy. Look what the writer of Hebrews says. Hebrews 12, 2, continuing in that passage that we were looking at earlier. Look at it. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What joy motivated him? What joy did he not already have? Was it his glory? He had glory before the cross. Was it a relationship with the Father? He had that before the cross. What joy motivated him to come to this world and die on that cross? The only possible explanation for him coming here is you and me. He loved you and me so much that he died for us. He's so passionate for you and your life, and he wants what's best for you. You see, his passion far outweighed the agony and the pain and the mocking and the sneering and the laughing and the sharp whips. His passion for you and me far outweighed the sacrifice. So finally to the question, Paul, how are you going to get me to pursue less of me? The only way is to fix your eyes on Jesus. The author, the perfecter, the finisher of the faith. Be completely blown away, listen, by just how good our God is. Because it is his grace, it is his love, it is him first pursuing you that ought to motivate us to run and pursue him with all we have. He's not after compliance. He's after commitment. A transformed heart. A heart touched by his grace. You're his joy. May he be our joy. May he be our treasure. And listen, when he is, the change that all of us deeply want. Transform lives will happen. And when it does, he gets all the glory through our changed lives, and we are most satisfied. That's when we are most blessed. And I close with what the writer of Hebrews said in 11.6. He rewards those who, listen, earnestly, with clarity, focus, passion, intensity. He rewards those who earnestly seeks him. Let's pray. A good God, an awesome God, 
And Father, we are just so blown away by the depths of your love for us. And Father, I don't know where everybody is on their journey to you, but my prayer today is that wherever we are, my prayer is very simple. It's that they would feel the depths of your love and the depths of your grace and that that would move them, wherever they are, closer to you. Father, you have called us to do wonderful things in your name, to be light in a dark world, hope where there seems to be no hope, and apart from you, we can't do it. So, Father, my prayer is that we would draw near to you and you would draw near to us, James 4, 8. And, Father, I pray that you would be glorified through our lives and that we would have an incredible impact for you and for the kingdom right here in the Capital District and beyond. And I pray everything in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, at this time, I'd love to invite our ushers to come forward to receive our tithes and offerings. You know, as Pat has just reminded us, the prize that we are to be pursuing...